John chapter 5, verses 1 to 24, the healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very, to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can, o he can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Amen. Yeah, thank you so much. This is an amazing passage, isn't it? Isn't it? I think it's absolutely brilliant. And we're back in John again. So you know that I love John. And uh, we're just going to spend some time looking at this passage uh, this evening. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you leave it open? Uh, and uh, if you've got a Bible app or something, open it uh, uh, to this passage. Because I think there are three things, really, I want to explore with you uh, in this passage. And just understand a little bit more about what this miracle might be telling us about Jesus. Uh, now, I wonder if you can just turn this microphone down. And just leave me up. That would be great. Thank you. So, three things I think we need to note here. The first is Jesus' statement that the point of healing wasn't to gratify 
sign seekers. Now you remember last Sunday, those of you who were here, we looked at a, a passage where it's quite clear there were a lot of people that kind of felt that Jesus was to be treated a bit like a performing monkey. And uh, they just wanted him to do nice things and perform for them. And they would follow him around to see what was the next thing he was going to do, the next trick, if you like. And it's clear as you come into this passage tonight in John 5 that the point of this healing is definitely not to play to the crowd. It's not to play to the things that they are demanding of him. And we see that in several ways, and I'll explore that with you in a moment. But it's very important that we remember that a lot of people back in the day, and still today, do treat Jesus in that way. They treat God in that way. So when they want something, they come to God. They use God. They use religion, Christianity, the church, to satisfy their own cravings, their own needs. And therefore, they don't really see who Jesus actually is, that he's the glorious king of heaven and the savior of the world. And they miss out on so much, therefore. So I want you to notice here in verses 8 and 9, for instance, that Jesus says to the guy, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And that, you know, it's easy just to read that and not see what Jesus is saying and just how amazing what happens next is. He picked up his mat and walked. It seems Jesus then makes a very quick get away from the scene. Maybe it is to avoid that excessive focus on the miracle uh, that we've seen previously. In fact, it seems, <laughs> this is amazing, it seems he was in such a hurry to get away, the guy who was healed didn't know who'd healed him. Did you pick up on that as Janice read the passage? That's an incredible thing to think. The guy is healed. He's been disabled for years. He has been present there in that situation for donkey's years. A guy comes along and heals him, and he hasn't got a clue who's done it. When the authorities question him about carrying his bed on the Sabbath, verse 13, well, the man had no idea. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So immediately we're faced with a question. What's going on here? Why did Jesus just slip away like this? Is this just a, a random miracle? And Jesus, you know, just escapes from the scene without anybody knowing who he was or, or why he did what he's done? The answer comes, I think, in verse 14, because we see that later Jesus found the man. So clearly Jesus has gone looking for him, hasn't he? Jesus goes to the temple and finds the man and says to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying here is, Look, I came to find you to tell you the point of why I did what I did for you. I healed your body with the aim that it would lead to the healing of your soul. I conquered your sickness with a view to conquering your sin. And here we stumble upon a great theme of John's gospel. 
In John's gospel, he always wants us to see beyond the present. Remember rice pudding gospel? We always talk about that, don't we? So you just look at this on the surface. You'll see the nice, lovely uh, skin, you know, that rice pudding. And you'll think it's just a lovely healing and that's it. You start to go a little bit deeper and John wants to take you into the thick, creamy sauce and that lovely little bit that's on the bottom of that. And I'm talking a lot about rice pudding these weeks, aren't I? But this is what John wants you to do. He wants you to see beyond the immediate. He wants you to get a sense that this is pointing to something far greater than just what is on the surface. He wants us to understand that Jesus' miracles aren't an end in themselves. They're always pointing to something else. They are quite literally signs. Signs of something far more important. They point to something far more important about Jesus and about the kingdom of God and about the spiritual and moral transformations that God's working uh, today. So you remember, for instance, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he just used a few loaves, a couple of fish, and the point is far greater than just that miracle. The point is Jesus is speaking of himself as the true bread from heaven. In John 6, 29, he has to say to the crowd, look, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You missed the spiritual sign, he's saying to them. You're glad your bellies were full, but you missed the point of it all. You only saw the physical side of it. And there is a danger, isn't there, that, you know, in our own lives, you know, you can come to Mariah or to any other church on a Sunday, and you can engage with all of this and miss the point. You can go along with a cultural conformity. You can do this because it's habit. You can engage in the whole religious process and totally miss what all of this is pointing towards. What the songs are all geared for, what the prayers are about, the scripture readings, why we do what we do in the way that we do it. And we need to watch that because there is, especially here in Wales, still a kind of cultural conformity religion that people feel this is their chapel. I had an amazing discussion with somebody who has absolutely nothing to do with Mariah this past week. We were talking about the pews. Now I'm going to keep you here for six hours and see how your bottoms feel after six hours sitting on these pews. Because they're not very comfortable, are they? They're not. Wow. Might we try and take one or two out? Sacrilege unbelievable and I thought to myself why do you feel so strongly about what we might or might not do to the pews now don't worry we're not taking the pews out yet (laughs) but the reason they weren't going to touch they didn't want us to touch the pews were back in the day their great great grandfather or great 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 grandfather had been one of the original people who'd gone to see Lord Tredegar now Trevor you were there you walk through the snow. You know, there is an allegiance and an opinion being formed on a relationship which is hundreds of years old. And there's nothing to do with what is happening now. Do, do you get what I'm saying? And there's a danger. 
that you can just look at the passage in Scripture and fail to see that this was a problem then. People came to Jesus and were like, come on, do something, perform. And they missed the point of who he really was. And it's crucial for John that we get it. So back to John 5. He's saying to the healed man, don't miss what your healing was a sign of. Your healing was a sign of, of so much more than just being healed. It was about holiness. It was about salvation. It was about redemption. That's one of the three main things that are going on in this passage that Janice read for some minutes ago. We'll come back to that at the end. The other two main things that we see here are to do with the way that the Father and the Son are related. And, of course, the other big one here is the fact that all of this took place on the Sabbath. So let's take those one at a time and see how they're related to each other and how they relate to the healing and its aim in the man's holiness. Firstly, let's deal with Jesus' relationship to the Father, because this is really important. A dominant thing that comes out in this passage, if you look closely at it, is the way that Jesus relates to God the Father. If you look closely at verse 16, you see that the Jews were going after Jesus because he'd healed this man on the Sabbath. It says, isn't it, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to prosecute him. So Jesus responds, this is classic Jesus, with an explanation. Verse 17, Jesus answered them. In his defense, Jesus said, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Leave aside the question of the Sabbath for a moment and simply focus on the relationship that Jesus has with God. After all, this is what the Jews were doing, and it elevated their persecution uh, to, to a, a plan of, of, of murder. So here's what they were hearing Jesus say about his relationship to God. Look at verse 18. They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, what's absolutely crucial to see here is not why they would draw that conclusion, but actually the fact that Jesus lets it stand. I think this is a mic drop moment. You guys come across it? One or two of you have. Okay. This is like making a statement and say, there you go. Thank you very much. And walking off stage. Jesus lets this stand. He was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, and he doesn't come back. He doesn't try and explain that away, as it were. They heard Jesus claiming something extraordinary. Now, what's absolutely crucial to see here is not only why they would draw that conclusion, but why Jesus let it stand. This was, remember, a real-life scenario. This isn't a made-up story. I do honestly believe this took place. So you try and put yourself in that scenario. They were there. We weren't, okay? But they could see and they could hear the way Jesus spoke about God as his Father. And evidently, there were sufficient indications in what he said and in the way that he said it that they were just... What? 
They were totally gobsmacked, flabbergasted. What is he claiming? This man is really treating himself as equal with God. And Jesus just lets it hang for a moment. And then he begins to unpack its implications. It's fascinating. He says, number one, the son doesn't, indeed the son can't, go his own way, but stays rather in perfect step with the father. And two, the father doesn't go his own way, but acts in perfect step with the son. Now that's hugely significant, because there's two important implications for us. We'll take those one at a time. First, the son only does what the father does. They act in perfect synchronicity. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he'll show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Now, the most important thing in those verses is the second half of verse 19. Whatever the father does, the son also does. If you're going to understand who Jesus is, this is key. It's so important in our world today that we get this. Whatever the father does, the son does. This isn't that Jesus in some way chooses to do some things he sees his father doing. You know, like a kid will often think, well, I like that bit, but I don't like that bit. No, 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 no. What he sees the father doing, he's going to do. Whatever the father does, Jesus does. When the father acts, Jesus acts. Total synchronicity. So Jesus' Jewish audience heard him quite right, didn't they? Like he's equal with God. What the Father does, the Son does. As if there's some kind of an essential connection or union between them. Now we need to hold on to that because there are strands of Christendom today that will teach in error that Jesus is not God. And that he is just some kind of great moral teacher. No, 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 no. The Bible makes it very clear, and Jesus makes it very clear, he and the Father are one. And so whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Key thing to note. Second, in verse 22, it seems to go the other direction, actually, that the Father acts in step with the Son. That's a bit weird, isn't it? You can understand the Son acting the same as his father, but the father acting in the same way as his son. Look at verse 22. The father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. Now when you read that, you can't just throw away everything you just read in verse 19 as though it suddenly stopped being true. Verse 19, whatever the father does, the son also does. So verse 22 says, the father judges no one, but he's entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now, I, I can't mean then, can it, that the Son doesn't see the Father judging, but goes ahead and judges anyway. If you read uh, John 3, verse 36, 
it says clearly that if you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you. That is, God does the judging. What I take verse 22 to actually mean is this. The Father judges nobody on his own. Lots of people seem to think that there will come a grand day when they'll kind of trot up to heaven and they'll stand in front of God, this genial headmaster in the sky with his big white beard and long flowing robes, and you'll kind of be before God and God will judge you. You get that double entry ledger out, yeah? You all know he's got a double entry ledger, don't you? All your sins marked there. That's the way a lot of people see God. Bunkum. Rubbish. And we need to understand what's going to go on on that great day. It's very important. The Father judges no one on his own. The Father doesn't go off on his own without any reference to the Son and judge the world. In fact, he judges no one like that. Another thing, by the way, verse 22 seems to mean is that the Son, not the Father, is the frontline historical criterion through whom comes judgment. That's the point of verse 23, actually. Look at it. That all may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Whoever doesn't honour the Son doesn't honor the father so if you want to be right with god you've got to be right with jesus the son the connection can't be broken lots of people tell me as a pastor that they're incredibly spiritual and they believe in god well i got news for you you need to start thinking about jesus because you can't sideline him you can't leave him out of the equation you could be a good person, you could be a religious person. But unless you get who Jesus is, bit of a problem. Bit of a problem. Whether God is dishonored with the effect that judgment falls is determined by the frontline historical person of Jesus Christ. If people honor Jesus for who he really is, wow. All judgment is given to the Son. What people make of Jesus decides their final judgment. I hope you hear this. Because it's what you make of Jesus that sorts out whether you get a place in glory. I said there were two implications for us from the fact that the Son stays in perfect step with the Father. One of them we just saw in our 21st century world of uh, teeming pluralism and religions and worldviews and cultures and lifestyles all vying and competing for our allegiance, verse 23 lands like a bit of a bombshell, doesn't it? Whoever does not honour the Son doesn't honour the Father who sent him. Can you see, friends, why it's so important we get it sussed in our own minds about Jesus and who he is? Because unless we get Jesus, we fall short. You can come to church as much as you like. As Billy Graham said, you can sit in a garage making brum-brum noises. It won't make you a, garage, uh, a car. It won't. You can come to church and sing all the hymns. You can know the Bible inside out. But unless you get Jesus, and that's the key thing in this passage, everything is pointing towards Jesus. The sign of the miracle points to who Jesus is. Everything is taking us beyond the immediate to something far more significant. And as you read through the Gospel of John again and again, that's what he wants you to understand. 
we want to know. If someone in another religion or no religion honors God, has a true worshipful relationship with God, the test that you can use is simple. Do they honor Jesus for who he really is? Do they acknowledge him as the divine son of God, the Messiah, the crucified risen savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, the judge of all human beings? Go and ask the Jehovah's Witnesses along the road. Now you might sit there and say, but you can't set yourself up like a judge like that. Well, yes, I can actually, based on scripture. And they're wrong because they don't get Jesus. And it's the same with the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And it's the same with so many other religions. Christianity teaches the centrality of Jesus. And we need to come back to that and understand that and understand who he is. Otherwise, we don't honor God. That's the first implication. The second is there in verse 24. Look at this. This is Jesus. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Look at this now. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Somebody said to me at the start of the service, well, it was Janice. Didn't understand bits of this. Bit hard, wasn't it? This is a bit hard. This is glorious, actually. Let me just take you through this a moment. If we hear the message of Jesus in the gospel, taken in its totality, not just some distorted part of it, and if through that message of that person, Jesus Christ, we come to trust God for our salvation, two amazing things happen. Wow! We will have eternal life. Number one, right? And you get it now. You don't have to wait for it, you get it now. Look at that. That's amazing. That's my... Two, you will not come into the judgment of condemnation. For you will have passed through it already and be safe on the other side. Whoa, now. Getting a bit excited now, Anne? Hey? Because the problem is you're a dirty, miserable sinner. And you deserve judgment. And so do I. But because of Jesus, and because I get who Jesus is, and because Anne gets who Jesus is, I will never, ever face that judgment and condemnation. Woo! One or two of you think it's wonderful. <laughs> this is awesome news. Because this changes everything. Why do we bang on about who Jesus is so much? Why have we got a big push on mission in 2019? Why is it that we're so keen to evangelize and to take the gospel into Risca? Because we believe that Jesus actually is the answer and we don't want people to have to face judgment we want people to know God and enjoy him and God will scripture says that all should be saved oh please God that would be the case and people would stop thinking and fearing that they're gonna whoa you don't have to do any you you just accept Jesus as your living Lord and Savior and you will receive eternal life and you will not face this judgment of condemnation. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus has become that judgment for us. When we're united to him by faith, his death becomes our death. His crucifixion becomes our crucifixion. His curse on the cross, our curse on the cross. His resurrection, our resurrection. We have already passed from Death to life. 
Yeah. One or two got excited in Mariah. Come on. How flipping awesome is that? Boy, oh boy, we should be made radically courageous by this. This is awesome news. It's awesome. The first main issue in this text is the man's healing and its purpose to lead the man to salvation, to redemption, to holiness. The second main issue in the text is the way the father and the son are equal, so that when one is acting, the other's acting, with the two implications that if you don't honor the son, you can't honor the father. And if you believe on the Father through the word of Jesus, then you'll have already passed from death to life and are on the other side of condemnation. And go to heaven. And that's for sure. There's a place there. Reserved for me. At least one more main issue in this passage to deal with. I don't know about you. I want a cup of tea then. Well, this is the issue of the Sabbath. And this is the one that the old preachers want to home in on. But I hope you've seen that the passage deals with far more than just the Sabbath. In what we've seen about Jesus' relationship to the Father, I think we've got the foundation to make sense of Jesus' answer to their criticism about it being the Sabbath. So look at it. Remember, verse 16. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Well, okay. What's going on? What's Jesus' explanation for all, the, all of this? He'd given an explanation to the healed man for why he was healed. Namely, this is about the pursuit of your holiness, pal. I conquer sickness to show you that I want to conquer your sin. Now he's going to offer an explanation to the Jewish leaders who are criticizing the fact that this all happened on the Sabbath. So he turns around and in verse 17 he says, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. Now, take everything that we've looked at. The whole thing, the synchronicity between Jesus and the Father, symbiotic relationship that there is. They are one. They are acting for our salvation. Everything points towards the glory of Jesus in John. You've got to look beyond the text. You've got to look up and see Jesus. And John wants us to understand that if you accept the Son, wow, then the all-inclusive package deal is amazing. You will be saved. You will not have to face condemnation. The judgment of condemnation has been taken away from you because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then you are sure of heaven. And that's wonderful. You're hid in Christ, in his righteousness. What Jesus has done for you on your behalf is absolutely amazing. And the fact all of this happened on the Sabbath... I want to read, in closing, something that John Piper wrote some years ago. And he wrote it as if Jesus is speaking. Let me read this to you. I'll finish with this. My father and I created a perfect world, a paradise, and then we rested. Not that we were tired, but stepped back, as it were, and enjoyed the perfect display of our own glory revealed in our creative handiwork. That's what Sabbath is for. The restful, focused enjoyment of God. But then sin entered the world. And through sin came sickness and calamity and death. And from that moment, my father and I have been working again. We have been working in many ways that you don't understand, 
to restore a Sabbath paradise to the universe. We've been working to overcome sin and sickness and death. Even your own law, which contains the Sabbath command, was part of our working to conquer sin and hold back the miseries of unrighteousness, point you forward to a Messiah, a Saviour, who would come and perform the decisive acts of restoration and transformation toward the new heavens and the new earth. When I heal a man and intentionally do it on the Sabbath, I am showing you something about myself. What was happening at the pool of Bethesda was that my father and I were revealing the world that is coming. It is a world in which there will be no sickness and a world in which there will be no sin. My father is working until now and I am working. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. Whether you see it or not, here is my response to your accusations about my Sabbath breaking. I and the Father are one. We created the world and the Sabbath. Since sin and sickness entered the world, my Father has been working, and I have been to restore Sabbath joy and wholeness and rest to the world. That is what I'm doing here and now in the months that remain to me. I will deliver the decisive victory at the cross and I will come again to complete my redeeming work and in that kingdom there will be no sickness and there will be no sin. Therefore repent and rejoice that a man has been saved from both on the Sabbath. Isn't that beautiful? I couldn't have said it better myself, which is why I wanted to quote from him. Friends, John's Gospel again reveals to us so much about Jesus. And the challenge to us tonight again is to just get it right. Get him right that he might receive the glory, that he might have his rightful place in our lives. Because then the implications are huge. For you, for me, for the people of Risca, and to those people through the ministries, programs, and initiatives that we're privileged as a church to support all over the world. Because we're making Jesus known. That everyone might come to know him and be saved.